When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the History of Evangelicals and Politics, the Obama Era. This is episode 14, What's the Matter with Kansas? I'm John Fia. In June 2004, historian and cultural critic Thomas Frank published, What's the Matter with Kansas? How Conservatives Won the Heart of America. It was one of the most important political books of 2004, and spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. The question at the heart of Frank's book went something like this. Why did Kansas, a great plain state of struggling ranchers and dying farm towns, with an early history of left-wing agrarian populism, vote in overwhelming numbers for Republican candidates whose economic policies favored corporate America and big moneyed interests? Why did the people of Kansas vote for candidates with economic policies that resulted in deindustrialization, electricity deregulation, the weakening of unions, media and meatpacking monopolies that hurt workers, social security privatization, and the concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands? Frank set out to understand why Kansans and the United States writ large tended to favor cultural issues in the ballot box, such as abortion and gay marriage, over issues that would bring them and their families more economic security. The answer, Frank concluded, could be described in one word, backlash. Kansans were sick of the college-educated baby boomers who, as part of the 1960s counterculture, protested the Vietnam War, fought for racial justice and women's and gay rights. 
and went to places like Woodstock, where sex, drugs, and rock and roll reigned supreme. They were sick of liberal justices taking prayer and Bible reading out of public schools, intervening in the decisions of local school boards, and legislating morality, such as they did in the Lawrence v. Texas anti-sodomy case. They were sick of affirmative action policies that they believed discriminated against white people. They called these policies reverse racism. When Kansans went to the polls, they seemed to be saying that saving the culture from these things was more important than putting food on their table, being able to afford to send their kids to college, paying the mortgage, and retiring with some degree of financial security. As you have seen in previous episodes of this podcast, the Christian right spent the last two decades of the 20th century losing battle after battle in America's culture war. Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. Sodomy laws were now illegal. Mandatory prayer and Bible reading was still not permitted in schools. Private Christian academies were no longer eligible for tax-exempt status if they did not allow Black students to enroll. But the Christian right was successful in teaching millions of Americans to stay engaged in the fight by voting for candidates who would use their power to restore America to its so-called Judeo-Christian roots, even if voting according to these values, as I just mentioned, conflicted with their economic interests. Presidential candidates such as Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush and scores of U.S. House and Senate candidates and politicians running for state and local offices rode the wave of backlash until it dropped them in the White House, Capitol Hill, and state legislatures across the country. But once they got in the corridors of power, according to Frank, they did not deliver. The leaders of the backlash may talk Christ, Frank wrote, but they walk corporate. Values may matter most to voters, but they always take a backseat to the needs of money once the elections are won. Frank quoted cultural critic Christopher Lash, Reagan made himself the champion of traditional values, but there is no evidence he regarded their restoration as a high priority. What Reagan really cared about was the revival of the unregulated capitalism of the 20s and the repeal of the New Deal. Frank added to Lash, if we are to understand the forces that have pulled us so far to the right, it is to Kansas that we must turn our attention. The high priests of conservatism like to comfort themselves by insisting that it is the free market, that wise and benevolent God, that has ordained all the economic measures they have pressed on America and the world over the last few decades. But in truth, it is the carefully cultivated derangement of places like Kansas that has propelled the movement along. It is culture war that gets the goods. In the last several episodes of this podcast, we argued that same-sex marriage was the most important cultural issue facing the United States in the lead up to the 2004 presidential election. Our last episode focused on October 12 through 18, 2003, the week that several Christian right organizations and President George W. Bush declared Marriage Protection Week in the United States. As we noted, Marriage Protection Week was a preemptive strike by cultural conservatives, most of whom were evangelicals, 
to prepare the country for the decision of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court in Goodridge v. Massachusetts Department of Public Health. The decision in this case was expected sometime in November, and it was likely that the Commonwealth's highest court would legalize same-sex marriage. In this episode, we will take a deep dive into the way Marriage Protection Week impacted one community, Manhattan, Kansas, a town of about 45,000 located in the northeast portion of the state along the Kansas River. Frank barely mentions Manhattan in What's the Matter with Kansas, but the residents of this community were not unlike the other Kansans he wrote about in the book. Most of the residents of Manhattan and the surrounding towns in Riley County, Kansas, were political conservatives. As of 2004, no Democratic presidential candidate had ever won Riley County, and the only time a non-Democrat carried it was in 1912, when former Republican Teddy Roosevelt defeated Woodrow Wilson on the Bull Moose ticket. In 2020, the county finally voted for a Democrat as Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump. But what makes Manhattan interesting is the fact that it was the home, and still is, of Kansas State, a public land grant university of just under 20,000 students, at least in 2003. The presence of the university meant that there was always a minority of well-educated and vocal progressives in town. Evangelical Christians made up the largest religious demographic in Riley County at somewhere between 8 to 12% of the population. But the county also had tens of thousands of residents who did not affiliate with any religion. Now, it's important to note here that the 2000 census data put this group of non-affiliates or non-religious affiliates at about 38,000 people although it is likely that the number of students probably skewed this number, making the real religious makeup of, of Manhattan in 2003 uh, a little bit difficult to pin down. But whatever the case, in October 2003, a culture war battle took place in Manhattan over marriage that provides an exceptional window into the national debate raging in the lead up to the Goodridge decision. In April 2003, the five members of the Manhattan City Commission selected Mark Tausig as mayor. Tausig was a Kansas State graduate who worked at the university as a landscape architect. He came from a large family of conservative evangelicals with roots in the city. Tausig's father, Robert, was a veterinarian who attended Wheaton College. He and his wife, Mary, were members of Manhattan's Grace Baptist Church. Mark Tausig spent part of his childhood in Nigeria, where his father taught veterinary medicine and founded the Nigerian branch of the evangelical ministry known as the Navigators. In his later years, Bob and Mary Tausig ran a popular evangelical ministry to Kansas State International students. Mayor Mark Tausig was sworn in on April 15, 2003. A Salvation Army captain named Mark Harsh and Tausig's father, Robert, laid hands on the new mayor and asked God to give him wisdom to be a shining light in the city. The town paper, the Manhattan Mercury, reported that invocations are not uncommon during such proceedings, but Tuesday night's prayer was unusual in both its length and nature. After the inauguration, 
during the normal business of the commission, Kausig announced a fundraiser for an organization called Life Choice Ministries, an evangelical ministry that promoted adoption as an option for pregnant women. He also announced that Manhattan would celebrate the upcoming National Day of Prayer on May 1st with local activities in the Riley County Courthouse Plaza. The editorial board of the Mercury felt the need to comment on the religious dimensions of Kausik's swearing-in ceremony. The board congratulated the new mayor, but also hoped he refrains in the future from turning commission meetings or even segments of them into religious occasions as he did Tuesday evening. The editorial board acknowledged that many residents of Manhattan agreed with the prayer offered at the event, but such Christian prayers were not appropriate for a community like Manhattan that included people who practice other faiths or no faith at all. We cannot help but wonder how many Manhattan citizens who are not Christians were offended by their new mayor the Mercury concluded. Kausig was elected to make secular decisions on their behalf. What would Kausig think if a Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, or Hindu injected his or her religious beliefs into public proceedings? We urge him to realize that the overt exercise of a specific religion by someone elected to serve all the citizens can create unnecessary divisions and in doing so, undermine even the most conscientious efforts to move this city forward. A few days later, the Mercury published a letter from Marsha McFarland, a retired Kansas State professor who opposed Tausig's promotion of the Life Choice Ministries fundraiser. Would Tausig announce a fundraiser for a pro-choice organization, she wondered. Others in Manhattan were thrilled by Tausig's open display of faith. One local couple said that Tausig's affirmation of Christian faith at his swearing-in ceremony affirms precisely why so many citizens chose to vote for him. The ceremony exemplified Mr. Tausig's values and character. Another resident, Don Zonley, criticized the Mercury's editorial, claiming the newspaper was displaying the same intolerance that it purports to oppose. Are we so intolerant, he wrote? that we must tell him to stifle his religion when in public view? Zonley also had a few choice words for Marsha McFarland. Was she so intolerant that she would oppose the endorsement of a ministry that helped children to escape death and be adopted rather than be exterminated by abortion? Kausig would be mayor for one year, and it was clear that he would be a lightning rod. The swearing-in ceremony was only the beginning. Three weeks into his term as mayor, Tausig announced at a local radio station that future city commission meetings would now open with a prayer offered by clergy from what he called mainstream religions. Tausig said that a public prayer before meetings would be a time to pause and turn to the Almighty and ask for his direction and guidance. It seems natural to me. I don't think it's something that we separate out of our lives. It's part of who we are. The mayor said he wanted to feature a diversity of religions in the prayers, although most of them would be Christian-based, since the United States, he said, is 90% Christian. When the radio host asked him if Satanists would be included in the prayer, Kausik said that they would not, because Satanism was not a mainstream religious belief. Again, the Mercury editorial board weighed in. 
We are not convinced that opening city commission meetings with prayer is a good idea. Yes, there was plenty of precedent for such opening prayers, but they often proved to be more divisive than helpful. One letter to the Mercury said that prayer, even non-denominational prayer, would inevitably offend people who did not share the faith of the clergy member invoking the prayer. Taussig's effort to introduce prayer would create animosity in the Manhattan community and work against the cultivation of the common good. The author described the mayor's idea as an open invitation to the American Civil Liberties Union to come knocking on Manhattan's door. I did not realize that our city coffers were so full that we could afford another run-in with the ACLU. Another letter writer said that the position of Manhattan mayor is a democratic, not a theocratic one. The office was not a pulpit to preach and proselytize. One wag said that as long as the mayor wanted to pray for commission meetings, why just focus on the God of the Christians, Jews, and Muslims? Manhattan also needed the wisdom and authority of the Norse god Tyre, the Roman god Jupiter, and the Greek god Athena. Some will say, she added, that we shouldn't pray to these gods because so many people now worship Yahweh. But this is actually a point in favor of Tyre, Jupiter, and Athena. They have far fewer demands on their time and so can pay more personal attention to the needs of the city. When the agenda for the Tuesday, October 7, 2003 city commission meeting was announced, those paying attention noticed that Mayor Tausig, following the lead of President Bush and Christian right organizations, such as the Family Research Council, the American Family Association, and Focus on the Family, was planning to declare October 12 through 18 as Marriage Protection Week in the city. Tammy Hawk, a sociology professor at Kansas State, a licensed social worker and family therapist, and an active member of Manhattan's first congregational church, joined her husband, Tom Hawk, the superintendent of Manhattan Ogden Public Schools, who had just ran an unsuccessful campaign for the Kansas House of Representatives, in writing an opinion piece that appeared in the Mercury on the day of the commission meeting. The Hawks described Tausig's proclamation as a thinly veiled attack on the civil rights of gay Americans. Referencing the Supreme Court decision in Lawrence v. Texas that struck down state anti-sodomy laws, they described Marriage Protection Week as a national effort to stir a panicky political climate of hate and controversy against gay civil unions, to stockpile and distribute funds gained through these public campaigns, and to invigorate the fundamentalist politicians. They described the idea that gay marriage would deliver a fatal blow to the traditional family as a ridiculous fantasy. The Hawks op-ed was strongly worded and provocative. It probably convinced citizens of Manhattan to show up at the city commission meeting that night. Indeed, the regular Tuesday meeting was filled with people ready to speak about the marriage proclamation. But first, Kalsig needed to actually make the proclamation. The wording of the proclamation was similar to the Bush proclamation. It claimed that marriage was the cornerstone and foundation of society and thus deserved special recognition by the people of Manhattan. Marriage was the avenue by which the love of God, the love of others, morality, good citizenship, and responsible behavior got passed to succeeding generations. 
Marriage had numerous benefits, including emotional health, longer life, greater wealth, and less domestic violence. Divorce, cohabitation, and attacks on traditional marriage, Tausig proclaimed, threatened the very core of society. The mayor called on the people of Manhattan, Kansas, to observe Marriage Protection Week with appropriate ceremonies and activities that honor traditional marriage and its essential benefits to society. This proclamation, the mayor added, is not against single parents or opposed to the one-parent family. This is just a proclamation for marriage. Tausig did not mention same-sex marriage, but neither did the Bush proclamation. The opposition to same-sex marriage was implied. Chris Renner of the Manhattan Alliance for Peace and Justice understood what the proclamation really meant, and he strongly opposed it for its failure to mention same-sex couples. Kent Cormack, pastor of the First Congregational Church and the Hawks pastor, also understood what was going on. If indeed marriage is an institution to be highly valued, he said at the meeting, then surely the mayor would not be so miserly as to hoard those benefits for only those who fit his definition of traditional marriage. Another resident said at the meeting that the proclamation has no place in Manhattan, adding, I deeply regret that you have chosen only to represent people like yourself rather than all of us who live in this community. Another speaker said that the proclamation was little more than the advancement of a religious agenda in a local government space that should be defined by secularism. Commission member Bruce Sneed pointed out that the proclamation was designed for churches, not city halls. As debate raged, others took to the microphone to defend Tausig's proclamation. A man named Stan Horman said that marriage is defined in the dictionary as between one man and one woman. Tausig's proclamation, he argued, was merely an affirmation of marriage as defined by Miriam Webster. After 45 minutes of debate, the mayor said that he didn't realize his proclamation would be so controversial. I do apologize for spending so much of our time tonight on this particular item, he added. One writer to the Mercury said that Tausig should have apologized for hurting some of the citizens of Manhattan under his care. When the meeting ended, the debate spilled over into the pages of the Mercury. Rex Miller of Manhattan responded directly to the Hawks op-ed, claiming that Tausig's marriage proclamation was not hate-based or homophobic. It was rather an appeal to nature and logic. The Hawks were just trying to stir up strong emotion and controversy among the people of Manhattan. Craig Weston, on the other hand, agreed with the Hawks. He believed that Tausig was using his mayoral position as a bully pulpit for his personal views. He said that Mr. Tausig's comment that he didn't know this would be controversial is hard to believe, and added, unless I am mistaken, there's no power to regulate or legislate marriage policy at the municipal level. William Pugh, who was present at the city commission meeting, was angry that Tausig seemed to ignore many of those who spoke in opposition to the proclamation, including a young woman wearing a t-shirt that read, marry us. Yet another writer thought Tausig should have invited the controversial gay-hating Wichita minister Fred Phelps of Westboro Baptist Church to the commission meeting so the two men could express their solidarity on this issue. 
After an initial flurry of letters, the Mercury published an op-ed by Paul Barkey, a retired U.S. Army chaplain. Barkey admired Tausig's courage, conviction, and his commitment to honoring the institution of marriage, and defended him against those who claimed he was injecting the politics of hate into our community. He said that the liberal clergy who spoke at the meeting were not representative of the people of Manhattan or the city's clergy as a whole. They were part of the United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, denominations that represented, according to Barkey, less than one half of 1% of the United States population. On the same day that Barkey's opinion piece ran in the Mercury, the paper also published a letter from the local Assembly of God pastor, Todd Weston. And again, I'm not sure here if he was related to Scott Weston, who was mentioned earlier. Weston defended traditional marriage and Tausig's proclamation. Five days later, David Byford, the pastor and founder of the independent fundamentalist King James only Faith Baptist Church, published an op-ed in the Mercury announcing that he had grown weary of the left-wing liberal agenda in our country. He used the rest of his column to construct a biblical argument for traditional marriage, quoting Romans 1, 18 to 27, Leviticus 18, 22, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 10, Jude 7, and Genesis 19, 5. Byford proclaimed that the Bible never presents homosexuality as an orientation that God gives at birth, but as a sinful choice. To argue that the Bible teaches same-sex relationships as long as they are practiced in loving relationships is as illogical as saying that the Bible permits adultery, bestiality, incest, or child molestation when practiced in a monogamous relationship. Those of us who hold to the Bible as the word of God find it highly insulting, he said, when the logic of men attacks God and his word. The pastor concluded, God help our community to stand up for God as well as the mayor, who wholeheartedly trusts in the God that we at Faith Baptist Church trusted. Other letter writers suggested that Tausig's refusal to bow to political correctness served as a testimony of his great faith and obedience to the God he serves. They talked about his compassion and virtue, his work coaching their daughters in youth basketball, and like Byford, filled their letters to the editor with Bible verse after Bible verse. Even his daughter-in-law, who lived 120 miles away in Olathe, Kansas, wrote a letter defending Towson. Mayor Towson has raised his son to be a man of character. When I see my husband and our two young sons talk about life, I am thankful that a man like Mark Tausick was able to teach their teacher. How blessed I am to be part of this wonderful heritage. Many of Tausick's defenders portrayed him as a victim. Tausick, they argued, was facing persecution from left-wing Manhattanites when all he was doing was standing up for the teachings of Jesus Christ and the sacred institution of marriage. The letters to the Mercury, pro and con, kept coming long after Marriage Protection Week was over. Finally, the editorial page addressed the controversy. We don't think Mark Tausig went out of his way to pick a fight when he issued his proclamation in defense of traditional marriage in conjunction with President Bush's marriage proclamation. 
but we nevertheless wish Mark Tausig had not felt it necessary to formally involve the city in his personal and spiritual beliefs. On November 5th, a group of 80 to 100 Manhattan residents came to the city commission meeting to support Tausig's National Protection Week proclamation. Again, this was almost three weeks after his actual observance. Kent and Colleen Hampton walked up to the podium in the room holding hands and spoke on behalf of those religious conservatives in attendance. When they completed their remarks, Kent asked everyone who affirmed Tausig's proclamation to stand up and be heard. The mayor's supporters rose to their feet and applauded for close to a minute. They then marched out of the room into the lobby of City Hall and began to sing. As they lifted their voice, presumably in hymns or praise songs to God, those opposed to the proclamation seized the podium. One critic said that it was a shame that the group left the room before a real conversation on the issue could take place. But some Tossic supporters stayed in the room. As the singing continued in the lobby, a showdown took place at the podium between David Grimm, pastor of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in town, and Byford of Faith Baptist Church over the meaning of marriage. Grimm said that Tausig's proclamation trampled over the rights of the minority, namely the Manhattan homosexual community. In his mind, he said, the issue boils down to the definition of the word all, A-L-L. And obviously, Grimm said, all does not include same gender relationships. Byford said he was surprised by Grimm's comments as if he didn't expect a Unitarian Universalist minister, yea, even one in his own community to support gay marriage, and announced that someone needs to at least represent what the Bible says on this issue. Like he did in his October op-ed, Byford rattled off a series of Bible verses called homosexuality an abomination and said that homosexuals would not make it into the kingdom of God. He called anyone who did not take a stand for his view on the issue a coward. Chris Renner of the Manhattan Alliance for Peace and Justice was back, and he responded to Byford by asking him what he thought about the Bible using the word abomination to describe the eating of shellfish, for example. Did Byford eat shrimp? He then defended marriage as a civil institution, not a religious one. Renner then turned to Tausig and said, I am very offended at your implication that some of us are the children of God, while others aren't. Catherine May, the reporter covering the event for the Mercury, ended her piece by reminding readers that Tausig had said back on August 7th that he was surprised his proclamation was so controversial. On December 28, 2003, the Mercury included Tausig's proclamation and the ensuing controversy as one of the top 10 stories of 2003. Right alongside local Fort Riley soldiers being sent to Iraq, the Kansas State football team winning the Big 12 championship, budget cuts, and a nightclub fire. Tausig left office in April 2004, and the marriage debate in Manhattan died down. But nationally, the debate was still very much alive. Stay tuned.
history of evangelicals and politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.